Hello. Thank you, Jess. Good morning. I couldn't see a thing through that worship. I had the sun beaming right in my eyes. And it was funny, on the, on the drive here this morning, it was the same, quite risky driving when you've got the sun beaming in your eyes. And just as I was sat there singing, I could hear, hear voices. I could hear the worship. I could feel it was kind of tangible. And I was just almost thinking, there's, there's these moments we have in, in worship, isn't there, where we're almost kind of blinded by God and we're almost kind of perplexed and distracted and disoriented. Um, and it just felt like one of those special moments. And um, just praying something of that as I speak, um, not that you'll get confused and perplexed, um, but that you'll get captured, recaptured, envisioned by God and his plans and purposes for you as we step into a new year. So happy new year. Thank you. Um, 2022, I didn't think we'd ever make it to 2022. Our title for this morning, if it is on the screen somewhere, perhaps is Reset, a fresh start to a new year. Is that working? It's not that interesting, but that's, that's the name of the talk this morning, which was crafted by Mr. Rich Johnson himself. Um, hands up if you've made any New Year's resolutions. Is it there? There we go. You can't even read that, can you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reset. Let's go with that. Uh, hands up if you made any New Year's resolutions this year. One person. Two, three. Three people. Wow. I had a quick look on Twitter, which apparently is what you're supposed to do um, to be inspired for New Year's resolutions. Here, here were some of the themes. Um, drink less. I'm assuming that's alcohol, not just general drinking less because that's not a very healthy thing to do, is it? Exercise more, better planning, living healthier, live a more peaceful life. Sounds nice. New year, new you is one that pops up every year, I think, isn't it? This, I like this one. Keep challenging yourself to think better, do better, and be better. Inspiring. And this was a funny one that I found. Push up, sit up, give up. Well, that's, that sums up most of my New Year's resolutions in the past. I, was, um, I, was, I had a little dig online to see you know, wh where this whole concept of New Year's resolutions came from. Um, the ancient Babylonians used to engage with New Year's resolutions. So it, it goes quite a, a, a far way back in, in history, really. And they did it. It was all about making promises to, to the gods. Um, the, the gods would bestow some kind of favor on them for the coming year which if that's the worldview you come from, it kind of makes sense. For the Romans, similarly, um, famously, Julius Caesar, he tweaked the calendar, you know, the calendar that we know that begins in January, um, and that was named after a two-faced God who would look backwards and forwards to the previous year and the year to come. And again, they would pray that the gods would bestow favor upon them for the future. For the early Christians, they adopted something similar, but the new year was a moment to reflect on past sins and wrong things that they had perhaps done, and it was resolving um, to live a better year ahead, a better future. But then I was thinking, what, you know, what is it about new year? Uh, we often go out and have New Year's parties. We watch the, the new year come in. We stay up and watch the fireworks, but surely it's just another day. It's just another week, month in the calendar, 
The clock keeps ticking. The world keeps turning around. But as, as I, was, I was thinking about it, it reminded me of the verse in Isaiah 43 that says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. And I thought, there's actually something captivating, isn't there? There's something enticing and fascinating about newness, about something new, the opportunity that comes with newness. And there's many times, I'm sure you're like me, there's many times I've longed for a fresh start. I've longed for a, a problem to disappear. There's some nights that I've gone to sleep hoping that the anxieties and the pressures and the struggles of that day will disappear with a new morning. And I think New Year's resolutions connect to that somehow. They're an expression of hopeful intentionality. And of course, that's what being resolute means, isn't it? To be purposeful and determined and driven. But if you're anything like me, most of the New Year's resolutions I make, if I do make any at all, are pretty superficial and they don't tend to last very long. But, and here's my kind of big thing for this morning that I want to thread through the rest of what I'm going to say, is what, at the beginning of 2022, what would it look like if we, together, as, as, as a church family, grabbed the hold again of this ultimate vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? What would it look like if all this is true, the songs we've been singing, the words we've been singing, if, if all this is real and right, what would it look like if we chose to recommit ourselves at the beginning of this new year to live a purposeful, driven, determined, unwavering life as disciples of Jesus? What would that look like? If you're a, a keen Anglican, you will know that um, as of today, as of Thursday, I think it was, we, there's been a shift in the church calendar. Hands up if you knew that. One person. Don't tell the bishop. We transitioned from the season of Christmas. Hands up if you knew it was Christmas. <laughs> yeah, a few people. Uh, and we've, obviously at Christmas time, we, we celebrate the, the events of the, the incarnation, Christ born. And we've moved into the season of Epiphany, which is a season of reflection and wonder. It's, it's how we consider the repercussions of Jesus being born in our daily lives and what it means for us as, as, as the human race, and what, what repercussions it has for the entire cosmos. So today is the first Sunday of Epiphany, and we celebrate particularly today the baptism of Christ. So we take a bit of a jump forward in, in the story and life and ministry of Christ I think it's here, it's in, the, in the text we're going to read in a moment, we, we, the convergence of this new thing. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? That God began over 2,000 years ago. The baptism of Jesus marks the beginning of Christ's uh, public ministry and his journey to the cross. And it's the unfolding reality of the new covenant, the new covenant made in Jesus' blood between God and all humankind. So here's our reading for this morning, which I've, I've taken from the lectionary. Hopefully it should be on the screen. Hopefully it's big enough for you to see. This is Luke chapter 3, 
The people were waiting expectantly and all were wondering in their hearts if John, this is John the Baptist, might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, and as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So as the reading begins, we're immediately dropped into this environment where we get the sense that the people are waiting expectantly. There's, there's an atmosphere, there's a glimmer of hope in the air, and we're told that people are wondering in their hearts. They're wondering in their hearts. And the, the word wondering that we have in the original Greek text is where we get the word logic from. So this is a deep wrestling. It's a, it's a, a real kind of gut wrestling, um, intellectual wrestling. For these masses of people that have been following the ministry and the teaching of John the Baptist, it's got potential life-changing, world-changing repercussions and what they're doing, they're speculating. Is this man, John the Baptist, is all the things he's saying and teaching and doing, does this mean that he is the chosen one of God that's come to save Israel and rescue Israel from the Roman Empire? I think in verse 15, we get the question, is, is John the Baptist the Christ? Now, before John the Baptist, before and after Jesus as well, there were many self-proclaimed messiahs who came in the name of the Lord, pretending that, or believing that they were the ones come sent by God to save the world. And John has a ministry before Jesus arrives on the scene. And again, people are hoping and wondering whether John might be that messiah sent from God to rescue them. In the verses before our reading, John the Baptist, we're told, has been journeying up and down the Jordan River. He's been preaching and baptizing people in water as an act of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what does this tell us? Why on earth is John's ministry so potent? Why is it so popular with the people? I think it tells us the general feeling and atmosphere that the people of Israel felt lost they felt disconnected from the gods of their ancestors. They felt lost and abandoned, disconnected from the promises that God had made to them. And there's a widespread awareness of the, uh, the past and present failures of God's chosen people to live up to the, the covenant that God had made them, uh, with them uh, in the centuries and generations before them. They were kind of haunted by their failure. And they were mourning the favor of God in their lives and as a nation. And therefore, I think through the message of John, we see that the beginning of hope, the beginning of um, this excitement, this anticipation, this wondering is repentance. You might be aware that the word repentance yeah, in the original language, it's got this, this sense of, of turning, you know, a kind of reorientation, um, 
a reposturing of our lives towards the God who made us. And at Christmas, we remember that um, the beginning of the story of our redemption is Christ born meek and mild in a manger. And as we shift into the season of Epiphany, we discover that the first invitation to us, the, the moment where this becomes meaningful, where the rubber hits the road for us, is in the action of turning from our lives of sin to the hope of Jesus. And it's repentance is at the heart of this, and it's at the heart of baptism. Repentance is something of a forerunner to us encountering the grace of the Messiah. But as these people are wondering, as the crowds, you know, those faithful disciples of John the Baptist, as they are wondering and wrestling with this potential hope, John tells them that something greater is coming. He tells them that someone greater is about to arrive. In verse 16, John says, one more powerful than I will come. Where John has been baptizing people in the waters of repentance, John says that the one to come, Jesus, will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Sounds magical. It sounds wonderful. When I was thinking about it, I was thinking fire and water. Do they not kind of equal each other out? Do they not, are they not contradictory? So I looked a little bit into it, but the, the Old Testament imagery and, and the, the way that the Luke's readers would have understood this and the audience at the time would have understood this was that the primary image of fire in the Old Testament was its use in refinement and purification. And so actually we have a continuation here in these concepts of baptism of water and, and fire that the water of repentance in baptism will then be followed on by the fire of purification as believers encounter the refining power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So the big picture here is our reorientation and our renewal as human beings. In verse 17, we are told that the ministry of Jesus is something like a farmer who will separate out those who are willing to approach God in humility from those who are hardened by pride and self-sufficiency. And one issue in our contemporary world where we find ourselves today is that talking about repentance, repentance as a concept, is quite a, a, a toxic concept. It's quite uncomfortable to talk about this idea of repentance. We're told over and over again from many different angles in our society that we are only good. The general narrative of our world is that we should celebrate ourselves. We should define ourselves by how we feel and we should create and manufacture our own personal truth. But that's not what we read here. We discover that the entry point to the Christian gospel and the eternal hope of salvation, it begins with repentance. It begins with humility. Now to the Jews of Jesus' day, the, the crowds that were following John the Baptist around, the opportunity to repent and to be reconciled to God was the moment that they had been thirsting for, for generations and generations. But today, the core gospels of repentance 
and forgiveness, they're often culturally uncomfortable to our ears. But I think we need to remind ourselves and I think we need to make it central to the gospel that we're proclaiming and living out in the world around us is that the end game of the gospel, the Christian message, it's not oppression. Where God is some kind of monstrous villain or tyrant who just wants to cower us into submission. That's not what we're here for. That's not what we believe in. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, he says these words, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the posture of repentance and humility, Christ's death and his journey to the cross, his ultimate resurrection and ascension to heaven, they all point to hope and life and joy and peace and power. And this is what it's always meant to look like for us as God's creatures made in his image. But rather than trying to attain these things by our own merit and our own strength and our own introspection, we're called to turn around. We're called to reposture ourselves and reorientate ourselves and embrace the living hope of Jesus Christ. We've just been singing about that. In the last part of our passage, we come to the moment where Jesus is baptized. Now, you're thinking, okay, so Jesus is supposed to be the perfect, sinless human being who we're supposed to copy and emulate. So why on earth did he need to be baptized? I think there's there's two reasons here. I think firstly, Jesus is baptized in water, not because he was a a wrongdoer or a sinner in need of repentance, but the act of Jesus' baptism became the way that he identified himself with those that he came to save. With me, with you, he became equals to us in the waters of baptism. He immersed himself into our lived human situation. And I think in doing that, Jesus therefore presents himself as, as fully human. And then secondly, I think baptism marks the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, where we glimpse for the first time the manifest unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in this single moment of Jesus' baptism, and I think it's a beautiful image. In verse 22, we see the, the Spirit of God descend on Jesus like a dove in bodily form. And then we hear the Father's voice affirm Jesus as the unique Son of God. Behold, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. So therefore, I think Jesus' baptism also presents Jesus as fully divine. Therefore, in this, in this single moment, we encounter Jesus as both fully divine, fully human, fully God, and fully man. And that's where the baptism of Jesus, I think, becomes significant for us as his followers, as his disciples, as his apprentices, as his trainees. Jesus models humility and obedience to the Father, which we're called to emulate in our own lives But Jesus also opens wide, he flings wide the doors for us to have access and right relationship with God through his own life, death, and resurrection. And these two things are merged together, and they present the most necessary and the most beautiful way of what it means to be human. Again, the Apostle Paul captures this in chapter 6 of Romans, where he says, we were therefore buried with Jesus in baptism 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. So this whole thing's not about us beating ourselves up. It's not about us feeling guilty and and dark and bad and miserable all the time. Again, Paul says in Romans 2 that it's actually God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So this is about us recognizing how desperately we need Jesus Christ in order for us to be reunited to God and to live our best lives, our godly, faithful lives here and now and forevermore. So as we begin 2022, as we start this new year, I want to encourage all of us today here in the building and those at home to return back to this almost primitive, basic Christian invitation again. This invitation of repentance and reorientation towards Jesus. Perhaps this might be for the first time Today, when you make that conscious choice, perhaps this is for the thousandth time. And just as we were sat there singing earlier, I was was reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, when he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what does this look like for us? As I was digging around and looking at um, some of the New Year's resolution stuff, I came across um, John Wesley, I'm sure you've heard of John Wesley before, the great evangelist. 1700s, was it, Jess? <laughs> uh, the founder of the Methodist movement, the Methodist church. And every year, at the beginning of every year in January, he would um, lead a kind of New Year's resolution service called the Covenant Renewal Service, which I think is brilliant. I think I've shared this before. I've used this before at some point. I think it's brilliant. Um, And I want us to use some of those words again as a a prayer in a moment, just as an act of response to this invitation at the beginning of a new year, just to make us kind of intentional and focused as we journey into 2022. Uh, But before we do that, we're not going to do the whole covenant renewal service because it's it's a bit long. Um, Don't laugh. Uh, But John Wesley offers us these... um, five really practical things within the liturgy. So if we were to do the whole thing, he offers these five really practical things that I thought I'd share with us this morning. Uh, And I'm going to add one to the end because I think you missed something out. Am I allowed to do that? Um, And this is a guy who took New Year's resolutions. He took, you know, that's why they were called the Methodists. He took this stuff really seriously, the habits and practices of what it means to be a Christian, Christian really seriously. So I'd encourage you, in whatever way it works for you, these are just bullet points, really, headlines. Uh, but I'd just really encourage you to embrace them and put them into practice, flesh them out, perhaps for yourself, for your family, uh, for your life group, perhaps even for how we live and minister as a church here at All Saints. 
Um, so hopefully these should be on the screen. I've, I've got them as bullet points there. Um, so firstly, it requires our devotion. Wesley said in his liturgy, to set apart time to spend alone with the Lord. Not a new concept, perhaps, for you. But what he means here, what we mean by devotion is intentional times of prayer, carving out time in your diary, however that works for you, however that looks for you, where we contemplate God, where we encounter God, we encounter his beauty and his vision and his plans and his purposes for us. So it requires devotion. Secondly, it requires vision. Wesley said, to uphold a serious spirit of awe and reverence. Like when the sun's beaming into our eyes and we can't really contemplate anything other than the brightness. It's us grasping a hold of the big story of God that we're presented with and revealed to us in the Bible. Learning where we fit into all that. You know, where do I fit in? in the 21st century as a Christian, in this whole story of God, and therefore being captivated by Jesus and all that he's done for us. So it requires devotion, it requires vision. Thirdly, it requires the Holy Spirit in us. Wesley said, rely upon God's promise of giving grace and strength. So this means us being filled and sustained and transformed and changed by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Fourthly, it requires grit. I love this word, uh, this word. I read a book called Grit. It's all about psychology of, of, of achieving things. Um, and I, I absolutely love the way that Wesley puts this in the liturgy. He says, be determined to be faithful. Don't you love that? Be determined to be faithful. So this whole Christian thing, this whole thing of discipleship, it takes determination it takes planning, it takes the rearrangement of our priorities, it takes us abandoning some things, it takes us adopting other things, forming new habits, and having integrity within it all. And then fifthly, it requires endurance. The Apostle Paul describes the Christian faith as, as, as a race, it's a, a marathon, it's, it's not a sprint. And within that, we're called to be steadfast, we're called to be hopeful, we're called to be patient. Wesley says that we need to be prepared for tiredness and failure in our efforts. He said we, we should be prepared to renew our covenant with God. We need to have that ongoing posture of humility that we need him. And then my little bolt on at the end, because Richard probably tell me off if I didn't mention this word, is uh, community. But I, I, I genuinely think that we need one another. I don't think this is a solo effort. The Bible doesn't present discipleship as a solo effort and I think we need each other as brothers and sisters we need to be able to rely on one another to draw from one another to, to be willing to be changed and molded and challenged by one another so there are my six things that I want you to go away and think about to flesh out to think about how it applies to you and your rhythms and your habits and of course there's the whole back catalogue isn't there of, of Richard's um, talks we've done over the last few years about how we begin a new year practicing the way of Jesus so dig all that stuff out again as well and just as a footnote to these things because we're talking about the baptism of Christ I was just challenged by the significance of baptism and I just wanted to say, if, if there's anybody here this morning who wants to follow Jesus, who wants to practice the way of Jesus, who's enticed by the call of Jesus, I'd really encourage you to come and chat to me or Jess or Rich and consider baptism. 
It's, it's a marker of your desire to turn around and follow Jesus. And it's something that Jesus did. It's something that he asked his disciples to do. I think we can often skip over it as a kind of second secondary thing, but I think it's got real value and importance. And um, when I was baptized, it was one of the most significant moments in my life. Um, and I'd really encourage you to come and chat to us if you want to consider that.